Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey guys, this is episode 87. This is a two-part episode. This is part one featuring my good friend, Yuda. All right. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, we interview recovering addicts who have stories of overcoming their addiction. Today, I have a good friend of mine, Yuda. Y-U-T-A. I've known Yuda now for like, what, three years? Mm -hmm. For three years, you are employed at United Recovery Project, one of our best and most loyal and dedicated employees. I really, you know, respect your recovery. I know you do a lot of stuff outside of recovery. You know, you got sober livings and I'm always interested in your story because it's kind of shocking to hear when, you know, you just seem like a quiet, reserved guy. Mm. But I'm sure that's a lot of us out there. Do people say that a lot too? Yeah. A lot of people, I'll get the kind of the question, uh, are you even... Are you even an addict? Yeah. Asians don't struggle with substance abuse, right? Well, they do, but like the culture is kind of like we don't talk about it. So when I first... I guess alcohol. But they'll kind of be like, oh, don't talk about it, sleep on the couch, like a whole culture thing. So You're like, Japanese? Half Japanese, half American. What do you feel more? I still have the culture of like taking my shoes off, like really? being respectful. Yeah. So in Japanese culture, you don't wear your shoes inside? No, you take them off. Out of respect? Yeah. Okay. So uh, even growing up, my mom was like, take your shoes off. Mm -hmm. You go to Japan, take your shoes off. You've been to Japan? Yeah. You like it? Yes. I uh, want to go so bad. It's beautiful. The people there are different. Everyone's respectful. You and speak Japanese? Uh, very broken. So I did younger growing uh -huh. up, like you, uh, the old VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. You can see me speaking it, but like when my parents split, I stayed mostly with my dad. Gotcha. And my dad's like, you don't need that stuff in the U.S. <laughs> really? <laughs> I swear to God. So uh, he was like, you don't need to speak that stuff. Uh, you just need to learn English and don't have an accent. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty brutal. Yeah, the Japanese culture is just so different from ours. Okay, so tell me where it all started. Where are you from? Your parents split up in America or they met in Japan? No, so my dad was doing a residency down here and my mom came to the US just for something different like when they were when she was younger. Mm -hmm. So she was an always an RN in Japan and she came down here I guess just for something different. I think she was in like her 30s or early 20s. And somehow they met, my dad was doing his residency in Buffalo, New York, mm -hmm. and my mom was there, and I guess they met, yeah, here I am. Here you are. Here I am. They met in Buffalo? Yes, Buffalo, New York. That's where I was Buffalo, born. Buffalo, New York. Okay. Sunny Buffalo. And what was growing up like? So I was only there till four, mm -hmm. but I see the baby pictures where, like, it's it looks depressing. It's a lot of snow. I remember just my mom bundling me up, and I have these baby pictures, mm -hmm. uh, the Christmas story where the kid, Yeah, I have pictures where my arms are sticking out. So we were staying down there, I think, till probably about six. And then when my dad finished his residency, we came down to Florida. And when did they split up? My parents kind of hung on there till I was about, I want to say, 10. 
10, 11. And that's kind of... And your mom went to Japan. They stayed down here. So my dad... Okay, so they split up, but they still lived in the same area? Yeah. So my dad was like, hey, I'm going to get you this house. And then I'm going to stay over here. And, you know, the whole holidays at one house, the alternative weekends. Only child? No. I have a younger brother. Wow. He's normal? Yes. Yeah. uh, He's normal. He's... uh, We're two completely different people. Wow. Yeah. He's the magnet school, Mm -hmm. do well, just say no, Mm -hmm. you're a loser, look at you. Uh, And he's a little brother. He's a little brother. Wow. He's a little brother. Um, And you know, it was crazy. He used to kind of look up to me growing up, Mm -hmm. but then when everything started kind of getting crazy, he Mm -hmm. was like, uh, Where did you go to high school? I went to Dwyer High School in Palm Beach Gardens. You're almost from Florida. Correct. Oh, yeah, because you do Pompano a lot. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> you do the whole Pompano thing. Kind of, yeah. Okay, so what was high school like? High school was interesting. So, like, Were by, you like in the math club? No, man. So, like, by high school, I was a hot-ass mess. Really? Yes. So, like, younger, I did well in school, but I kind of had a problem, like, just paying attention in class. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd get easily distracted. Like, I went to a good school all the way from, like, elementary to middle school. When my dad passed away, it's kind of like the game changer where wow. I had, like, that fork in the road. How did he pass away? So, I remember I was 15 and a state trooper came to the house mm-hmm. and he, it was probably around maybe 1130 at night. I remember uh, back then I had like this black light and I used to cut like these low rider maggots. Like anyways, mm-hmm. I was yeah. sitting in there just chilling and a state trooper came and they were like, you know, hey, are you Mrs. Varma? She was like, yes. And he passed away in a car accident. Wow. So he had a practice. He worked at a hospital down here, but was opening another one up or opening one up in Daytona. So Mm -hmm. he used to commute. I guess he fell asleep at the wheel. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I never knew that. So then that's when you started like acting out? Yeah. So that's kind of... And your dad must have been super close. Yeah. So that was like my best buddy. That Mm -hmm. was like my fishing buddy, my hunting buddy. You guys, you hunted? What? Like what? We did a lot of boar hunting. Boar hunting. In Florida. Florida boar. Yeah, that's what people do. Yeah, so like Jupiter Farms, Indian Town. Okay. So we used to go out there. He used to have this buddy. We used to go on swamp buggies and airboats. Mm -hmm. So he was like my best friend. So he was the one that I'd be like, Dad, I'm sick. Uh, I'm not really. He'd be like, all right, let's go fishing. So, like, I kind of learned early how to, like, manipulate. So I'd be like, oh, if mom's going to say no, let me go ask dad. Mm-hmm. Dad says no, I bet your mom will say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was my best friend. I remember, like, after hearing that news, so we weren't, like, a religious family. And I remember the first time when I heard that, I had always a concept of God growing up. I remember the day after I was so angry. I remember bawling my eyes out. I remember my mom screaming, cry. I vividly remember telling myself this whole concept of God. My dad had no life insurance, not mm-hmm. really any savings. So like when he passed away, like my mom had nothing. And she was a stay-at-home mom. Wow. So it was rough, man. So we went from like kind of always being okay, dad there, to the lights turning off, sometimes not having food. It got rough. Mm-hmm. Did your mom start working? She did. So she... 
was started going back to school. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is my mom has this heavy accent. Mm-hmm. She's been here for like 38 yeah. years. So do my parents. <laughs> And I'm like, mom, how do you still have this accent? I've just, you know, it's my mom, so I don't really hear it. I had someone who was like Hispanic uh, on the show, and he was saying that when you learn a language after 10, it's it's done. Oh. Like you can't get away from it. Hers is bad, man. Wow. She's bad, but not. she's my angel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was rough. So like high school, I just started lashing out. Mm-hmm. And I started hanging out with like all the bad kids. I remember like there was this group of kids that would hang out at the bus stop. So that was the first time, like, I went to public yeah. school. Those kids are probably all in the oh. program. <laughs> <laughs> or dead. Yeah, or what, dead. What, uh, so you went to private school, then public school? Yes. Yeah, so I remember I did one year of private school in fourth grade. And I remember when I went to fourth grade, it was as if the guy from the Green Mile getting off the plane, everyone was like, oh, it's a public school kid. Like, dude, public school and <laughs> private school was like, oh, he went to public school. After you go to private school, it kind of is a big difference. You see, because I guess family who think to spend so much money on school are just like a different type of family than the people who go to public school. I mean, they're both fucked up in different ways. Yes. In private school, they have cocaine. And in <laughs> and, uh, public school, they have like Xanax and weed and <laughs> The whole swag. Dutch master. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Dutch masters. It's interesting to think how much your life can change as a kid from going to a private school than going to public school. And it was a eyes chalker. Like, uh, I remember we had uniforms. In public school? No, in, in private, private school. school. Yeah, in private school you had uniforms and yeah. then you could wear whatever you want. Yeah, and like you wear whatever you want and like no one ever cussed at a teacher. And like my first day <laughs> in public school, they're like fighting fuck in you, the classroom, <laughs> walking out, cussing the lady, like go fuck. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. But yeah. I liked it. You're like, this is cool? I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So you started hanging out with the kids at the bus stop. What did you guys start doing? So they were all older. I remember in the beginning, they were all like smoking cigarettes, and they were probably all 20. Mm -hmm. So I like didn't put two and two together, but I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, why are you hanging out at the 15-year-old bus stop smoking cigarettes at 7 in the morning? Mm -hmm. So they weren't going on the bus? No. They would just— Pull up, they'd have their candy painted, uh, you know what I mean? They'd mm-hmm. be playing their 212s, what was it, back three, six miles, yeah, or Project Bat. Yeah. Seven in the morning. There you go. Hypnotize mine. <laughs> yeah. Just hanging three, out. Three, six mafia is the best. They're so, like, underrated right now. Like, well, Juicy J started making music again. When that happened, I was like, who would have thought Juicy J would have a comeback? It's, like, so amazing. Shout out to Juicy J. Shout out to Juicy J. Yeah, he was on a new song with Poya, and I was just like, dude, this he's been making good records for, like, he made better records now than he did back then. Back then they were good, but it's like he just died off for 10 years, and now he's back. It's awesome. And I remember that MTV show. Remember he did that? Yeah, where he would go on dates with girls. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would be like super thugged out and there'd be like some like little like white girl from the hills. Yeah. And they'd bring out like sparkling water. Like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. <laughs> when he called the girl Sugarfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Sugarfoot. I think I remember that. I was like, I love this guy. Okay. So they'd be probably trying to pick up girls. Yeah. But I mean. Or just that, like nothing else to do at seven in the morning. You know, they would all smoke weed in the morning, the whole wake and bake. Mm-hmm. And I remember like growing up, like I never really had an interest for any of that. Mm-hmm. Like I remember what was that? Uh, Dare. I remember that growing Mm -hmm. up, and I just remembered, like, I never had any interest. It never intrigued me, but I remember I used to just see these kids doing it. So, like, my whole outlook started changing, and also I was, like, angry. Yeah. 
I was angry at like 15. 15 on, I was an angry, angry kid. Mm-hmm. I kind of started hanging out with these guys because they were older. Mm-hmm. And now looking back at it, it was kind of just like someone to guide me. Because mm-hmm. I remember at 15, I was like, oh, my dad's going to help me with my learner's permit. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to get a car at 16. So I was pretty upset. So when did it start to excel from just like smoking weed? So I'm kind of a late bloomer. I think it started at like 17, 16. Mm-hmm. 16, started going to the high school parties, started drinking, started messing around with prescription pills. You know, the smoking weed kind of when it was fun. I remember smoking and, you know, I'd always had the Visine bottle and mm-hmm. I would like spray cologne thinking no one else could smell it. But I probably just smelled like weed and cologne <laughs> yeah. walking around. And it's on your fingers. <laughs> like when you're smoking blunts back in the day, dude. <laughs> Your finger, my fingertips were burnt in like fifth grade. <laughs> you know what I mean? What? Like I had, I had burnt fingertips in fifth grade. And I thought it was cool. It was like a bad, I used to like purposely let the like blunt hit my fingertips to like callous them to be like, oh, look how much I smoke. I have calluses on my fifth <laughs> grade. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. So, I mean, I just started and, you know, it was fun. I remember like hanging out. I remember kind of like feeling like I fit in. But mm-hmm. what was weird is um, even in the beginning, man, uh, I was just honestly doing it just to numb, I think, everything. And even at the parties or in school, man, I never felt kind of like a part of. Mm-hmm. So what was weird is I could always fit in with any crowd that I was with. So I was always cool with like the jocks, the skaters, the emo kids. I could get along with any crowd, but I never felt like I fit in kind of anywhere mm-hmm. until I started hanging out with like the older, rougher crowd that were like doing stuff that was super illegal. But like, I don't know, I kind of looked up to them. Mm-hmm. I got my first job at 16. I just started working to kind of help my mom. Yeah, I started work at a young age. You know, my disease started progressing. And I was, uh, these kids I hung out with were doing crazy stuff. I remember like two of them, like two of them now are doing like 25 years in prison. One is like doing, I don't even know if he's ever getting out, but like they were a pretty wild bunch. So I don't know why I was like attracted to that. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of started doing what they were doing. What were they doing that was so bad? Bro, they were like selling drugs. Mm -hmm. They'd ride around with guns. And I'd be like, I like knew it was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'd kind of ask myself sometimes like, what the hell am I doing in this car? (laughs) You know, my biggest thing was like, I kind of got attracted to like the glitz and glamour. And like the initial I believed was like, oh, I'm going to like kind of do what they're doing so I can like help my mom and my brother. Mm -hmm. I kind of just started following what they were doing. So I like started selling weed at parties. Mm -hmm. I get the ounce and I start breaking it down. You know, 3.3s, not Mm 3.5s. You know, it just escalated from that. It was no good once I started that Mm -hmm. at all. When did you start using like, when did other drugs become a problem? I would say probably about 19 is when I, it kind of started escalating. So that's when I caught my first DUI. I graduated high school. Don't know how I even did that because I never really attended. Mm-hmm. Like there was this wall on the second story. Like we would all just hop. And I don't even know why you did that when you could just walk out the front gate. Yeah, I caught my first DUI at 19 years old. I was, I think, in my first year of community college. I remember I was drinking and all barred out. I remember in the holding cell thinking to myself, uh, like, you know, damn, I shouldn't have been drinking or taking Xanax. Like, my first thought was, damn, I shouldn't have got on 95. Mm -hmm. I should have taken the side roads. 
So like that should have been a huge red flag for me. But I was like, once again, I don't have a problem. I'm good, wrong place, wrong time. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a little bit, 21, I catch my second DUI. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy being like, you know, we both work in treatment, but if you're getting DUIs in your 20s, Mm -hmm. like it's pretty bad. It was so bad. And uh, that's kind of like an older person charge, you know, I guess like I guess young kids who are drinking like it does happen. But if you're getting multiple DUIs in your 20s, it's it's pretty bad. So once again, I didn't think I had a problem. Yeah. And this time I was like, oh, it's not really the alcohol. I was like, maybe I need to cut back on the Xanax stuff. Dude, Xanax is so bad. Like you you don't steal a lot. Sometimes I, I I would just steal. Yeah, that's like the one thing I would always steal and like punch inanimate objects. <laughs> Correct. So I would either steal, I'd eat really crazy food and wake up in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And I'd be like, what the hell is this? Or I'd be like trying to f- I get aggressive and like yeah. try and fight. I can't stand mm-hmm. like all my teeth. And dude, people would just literally lay into me like, mm-hmm. look at this strung out Asian dude. Like we're teeing off on mm-hmm. them and I'd get whooped. Yeah. So what happened after your second DUI? Second DUI, you know, uh, I still maintained my job at UPS. So I got my job at UPS at, I started at 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. And I actually stayed there for about six years. I loved it. So I got promoted when I was young. I was like the youngest person in the district to get promoted. Did you ever like go in the packages? Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Because I remember when I was using, there was this kid who worked at uh, FedEx and I just thought it was like the sickest job because he would just tell me nonstop about like the packages he would go into. And, you know, when you're using, it's like forklift, Outback, Steakhouse, or FedEx. It's like on drugs, <laughs> those are like dream jobs. I remember my boy got the forklift job. I was like, dude, he's he made it. Yeah. <laughs> he's arrived. He was on methadone. He had a script of fucking oxys. I was like, and he had a forklift job. I'm over here begging him for like one pill. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got the job and I got promoted. Mm-hmm. I loved it. So I had 401k. I went into the management. So, you know, we were on this the reload shift. We did like 40,000 packages in three hours. I loved it. And that's also kind of where like my disease also turned. So we have these things called bay doors at the end of the night. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there trying to wrap everything up and it had like this chain that was like super rusted. They had classes on safety, like how to properly do Mm -hmm. them. And I was like, I'm trying to go home. So I remember grabbing it, trying to close it. It got stuck. So for some reason, I thought it was a great idea to turn around outside the bay door and pull on it. Uh Uh-huh. So when I pulled, the chain popped, and I fell probably about, I don't know, maybe six to eight feet on my back of my neck. Wow. And I folded up like a slinky, and I just laid there. Wow. I never knew this. It's crazy. So, like, no one came to help me, which was weird because the guard gate's up front, and he, like, I don't know, it took a while, but I eventually got up. I remember I came in the next day, and I was like, dude, my back is bad. Mm-hmm. So my boss at the time was like, dude, you need to go see a doctor. And I was like, yeah, you're right. This was back in the 2000s. Back here in the 2000s in South I already Florida. see the recipe cooking. Correct. <laughs> the pot's getting hot right now. A normal person would be like, oh, this is so sad. 
like a drug addict is like, yes. <laughs> so I was like <laughs> a, a nice back injury. Yeah. And in the early 2000s, what a treat. So I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I didn't like, I mean, yeah, you'd get the Xanax or the Axe or the Molly or whatever. What I would do to have a back injury in the 2000s. Dude, you could buy fake MRI back then. Everyone had a back yeah. injury. But if you had a legit one, it was like even better. Yeah. So I went to this doctor mm-hmm. and he was like legit because I had insurance back then through the company. Okay. This guy was like, oh man. And I didn't know really hardcore like drug addicts. Like it was like, oh, I party. Smoke. You were like a party year. Yeah. Uh, take ecstasy, go to ultra. Uh, <laughs> don't judge me. How many times did you go to ultra? I don't know. Uh, I just always like growing up, like I had a couple friends that went to ultra, but I just never was. Uh, Oh, whatever, bro. You like ultra? That's cool. Well, dude, you like everything. Did you go ecstasy. this year? No, I'm, I haven't been there sober. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, over there on fucking fake Molly, yeah. trying to fit in with my glow sticks and yeah. fakes. <laughs> <laughs> I got this injury, and I'll never forget. So I was in this bay door, uh, another bay door, where the package cars mm-hmm. come in. I remember taking my first medication out of the bottle, mm-hmm. and I remember literally eating it. You didn't even know what they were? I knew they were pain pills. But you didn't know the, even the name of them at the time. You were just like pain pills. Yeah, I was like pain, my back hurts. Wow. Come to find out, they're lower tab, uh, okay. 10 over 500. Okay. Um, I remember that very vividly now. Uh-huh. So uh, I remember taking one and sitting there, and we had these, it's called an E-Reg cart. It's like this little Mm -hmm. three-wheeled thing. I remember taking this, and like everything in the building lit up. It was crazy. Like, I remember, like, the package cars were browner. I could see Mm. the outside. The sky was brighter. I was like, man, I can think so much better. Mm. I can get so much done. Like, I'm going to clean all this stuff. Like, oh, man, this is the cure to life. And I even remember after taking it and feeling like that, like, I walked around and I'd be like, hey, man, do you want any of these? Mm -hmm. Like, you have to try this. Like, game changer. Yeah, like you had just discovered, like, kombucha or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) the the cure for life is what I thought I found. And I remember asking people and they'd be Mm -hmm. like, get the fuck away. Like, no. They'd be like, get the fuck out of here. I'd be like, but it's legal. Look, it says CVS. Like, it's not drugs. Like, this guy gives it to me. And I'm like, I'll share them. Mm -hmm. Uh, No one took them. But that's kind of like when the wheels really started cranking. I remember starting to take them. And I was like, man, I work so good. And I remember that day I told myself, man, if I feel like this now, I'm going to do this forever. And that's kind of what I did from that (laughs) point on. I remember at about four months, I started running out. I remember the first time I withdrew, I was telling one of my buddies about it. This is like when blues and uh, Soma, Mm -hmm. like all that crazy stuff was out there back then. And I was like, we were supposed to hang out. He was like, dude, you're dope sick. And I was like offended. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I'm not a junkie. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And I remember he came over and he had this little pill. So it was like a quarter of the size of usually what I've been taking. The lower tabs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it said 30 on it. And he was like, take a quarter, man. These are strong. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, well, you know. Uh, They're uh, so small. Right. Yeah. First thing I did, thump. They were, ate the whole mm-hmm. thing. And he's like, dude, you're going to get sick. But I remember the first time I took it, I stopped getting sick. And mm-hmm. he was like, dude, this is just to show you like you're in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. So most people would be like, oh, man, maybe I need to get help. 
my thing was I need to get a different doctor mm-hmm. and find out where these are. You know, I kind of kept my job, but then I started mixing other drugs at it. They frown upon uh, nodding off at work. Mm. They had me come to a meeting, which was so creepy now that I think about it. We met at a, at a turnpike rest stop. Mm. So like the district manager and I don't even know, maybe regional manager. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you do you need help? And I was like, what? Wow. They're like, you're a great staff member, but we think you have a problem. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I get these from a doctor. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, we're going to kind of give you a solution. So you're either going to go get help. We'll help you get help or you're going to resign. And I was literally offended. I remember getting from the table and I was like, I don't need help. Thank you for everything. Mm. That was my last day there. Wow. After six years. And then your life just kept getting better. No, it got extremely <laughs> worse. <laughs> extremely worse. I ended up finding one of the doctors. And it's so crazy. I remember, uh, so that was the first time I ever heard of sponsoring. Mm-hmm. So I've never heard of sponsoring until back then in the 2000s. Yeah. I remember this guy was like, do you want me to sponsor you? I was like, what does that even mean? It was just bad, man. I, I remember I got a doctor. I actually drove down to Delray. You know, I started getting the prescription and I went from, you know, whatever they're ever giving me from the one doctor to, you know, eight times a day of this blue thing. And then mm-hmm. my one buddy was like, tell him you have anxiety. You know, 90s Annex, 15 breakthroughs. It was crazy. Yeah, I got really bad really quick on it. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff on the side that I probably shouldn't have been doing. You know, I got in a a lot of trouble in my 20s. So most of my 20s, the only time I ever drew a sober breath, really, was honestly incarcerated. What was crazy is every And your drug of choice was mainly Oxycontin at this point or blues? Yeah, it was definitely the pill thing. So I believed this lie for a long time that like I needed these medications Mm -hmm. because I hurt my back. My MRI says I hurt my back. And this doctor that's gone to school for six, whatever, 25 years. Yeah, it's crazy how you can abuse a drug for so long and really think you need it. And when you don't have it, you feel crazy. And then you feel so defensive when someone thinks, like, I thought I needed them and I was never prescribed them. You know, like, <laughs> a part of me was like, dude, I just, like, need to take these for the rest of my life. Because you meet people that they're thinking the same thing. Like, you're, like we're not getting clean. Like, and I remember I had, like, I had friends who were, like, veteran drug addicts, like, older fr- like older people. And then I had, like, kids that were, like, a, you know, a couple years older than me that were using and it's like every month they were trying to get off blues. And I'm like, dude, we're not getting off these. Like, like just stop with the bullshit, bro. Like every week we do the same shit. Oh, I'm going to wean off. Like, no, bro. We're like, we're on this for life. Like, let's go cop. They'd be like, no, bro, I'm getting off that stuff. I think that was like the one thing about me being an addict is that like I'm really gung-ho about things. So when I started doing blues, I quickly realized like I'm going to be on this shit forever. I tried to quit like four times and I was like, well, that's not happening. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to be on methadone and get a script. And it doesn't seem too bad because you meet people, right? You meet people like <laughs> on methadone who have a couple scripts and smoke, sell their fucking other shit for crack. Yeah. You're like, it's pretty strange. Like, this is all normal. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're like, it's not bad. You know, you get crack every once in a while and fucking keep your dope habit controlled. The cool thing is that, you know, when I got clean, I, I was super gun ho about staying clean, you know? How long wait, did you do in prison? Was it prison or jail? In the beginning, it was just county jail. Mm-hmm. And then I really got in trouble mm-hmm. 25, hanging out with the people I shouldn't have been. You know, before then, it was just county jail after county jail. It's that saying, uh, you know, I've heard it. Maybe it's just 
people that go to county jail, but they're like, oh, once you go, it's a revolving door. Mm -hmm. Bro, and every time, uh, and what's crazy is I was always doing like the wrong thing, like driving on suspended. Bro, ever since I've been sober, I've never got pulled over once. Oh, no, that's a lie. I got pulled over once. But and, rarely. Yeah, but when I was out there using. Pulled it, over all the time. Yeah, in my little dope mobile with like, you know, the cracked I couldn't windshield. keep a car for more than three months. Oh, in the beginning, I lost it. Or at the end, I lost yeah. everything. But yeah, I got it. Uh, but it, when you get arrested all the time, you start thinking that it's just bad luck. There was a time where I really thought, like, dude, it's just, like, bad luck. Because I see other people doing the same thing, and they're not getting arrested. Like, I remember thinking, like, I'm just have, like, this horrible streak of luck, and, like, next year will be better. And then next year I have some other bullshit charge. <laughs> yeah, back you go. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. I feel like when you're living that lifestyle, you just attract... That shit, you know what I mean? And, like, I think cops are pretty, like, aware of, like, <laughs> like they looked at me and were like, all right, bro, put your hands behind your back. You <laughs> know what I mean? We're searching you. Come here. <laughs> yeah, bro. It's like, just like fucking the drug dealers, like, know where we're at. Like, I don't know. There's, like, I like I believe in energy, and I just feel mm -hmm. like, um, you know, when you're doing, like, fucked up shit, like, it just attracts that. For sure. So at 26, you go to prison? Yeah. So uh, I catch a pretty serious charge, um, you know, hanging out with the older kids. And I remember they always told me. They'd be like, you know, Chino. Uh, they'd be like, hey. call you Chino? Yeah. <laughs> Spanish people. It's a, it's a long story. So they'd be like, hey, man. You the fucking bloods? Stop. So they'd be like, hey, you need to stop what you're doing before you really get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm like, dude, I've been in county Like, uh, I, it's fine. Like, county jail is not the end of the world. Yeah. Right. It's just a couple, six months, eight months. And what's so crazy is I stop smoking every time I'm in there. You know, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to change my life around. Uh, I'm going to get healthy. Would you be a Bible thumper in there? I would be a closet Bible thumper. So okay. what's so weird is, like, I renounced God when I was, like, 15. But every time I got jammed up in those foxhole prayers. You'd be praying. I'm praying. I'm like, Reading the Bible? Correct. Reading Solomon's Proverbs. You read, like, you read the Bible cover to cover in there? No, 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 no. Okay. I just stuck to the veil. All this stuff <laughs> would confuse me, man. I'm like, what are they talking about? And there's nothing. I just thought uh, I, yeah. I don't know it well enough. I would always pray before I went to court to a God that I didn't believe in. Mm -hmm. But like now looking back, like something was obviously watching over me. I mean, I got in a lot of trouble. So mm -hmm. I, I got a really bad charge. Yeah, I got jammed up. I sat for about 14, 15 months in county jail. I remember my attorney was— You sat uh, in the county jail for 14, 15 months? Trying to battle this. Can you explain to people why? Because I know that that's just crazy, but can you explain to people why that's crazy? What? Sitting and going to— Being in jail. county jail for 14, 15 months. What do you mean? People stay in there longer than that what? trying to get out of charge. What? Really? Yeah. But it's like—but what I mean is, like, most people rather be in prison Correct. for well, two years— then do county jail for like 18 months. Right. But when you're there, so I've never been to prison before this. Okay. So I'm like, oh, this isn't that bad. And you hear the horror stories in prison. Really? Yeah. So I'm like, I dude, thought, I'm I not going most, there. But most people don't want to be in county jail. They want to go to prison. Correct. Those are like your uh, repeat institutionalized <laughs> offenders. Well, there's a lot more to do in prison. Yeah, but dude, you don't want to go there when a guy's doing a life sentence and you're like, hey, man, I'm doing 14 months, bro. I'm ready to go home. Like, he's not trying to hear that. So, like, I'm terrified. And, like, well, what, what, what I'm trying to say is a lot of times when people are fighting their charge in the county jail, they want to get it over with so they could just get sentenced. They don't want to sit in the county jail for 14 months. 
Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't care. Uh, I was just nervous because they were talking like some crazy numbers. And like I like 82 months. It was just, and they say it in months. I remember yeah, like one 179 time. 179 months. Right. So I, I was remember sitting one time and I heard this guy like before me and he mm -hmm. took a plea deal. And the the judge was like, oh, 144 months. I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. I'm like, wait, 144 months. I'm like, bro, that's like 12 years this guy mm -hmm. just took. So I had this private lawyer because before then, like, I didn't really cross like. Where's your mom and all of this? Oh, man. Biggest enabler. Really? Yeah. Oh my! I thought it was gonna be the opposite. I thought you were gonna say, "Dude, she just cut me to the." My brother cut you off. Rap. I'd get the free phone call in the holding cell. <laughs> You'd be like, "Hang up." He's like, "You're right where you fucking need to be." Oh. Wow. And I'd be like, "Let me talk. Click. Stop wow. calling the house. Click." But my mom would always support me. Uh huh. Like give you money to start or whatever. Yeah. So she would always be like, in the beginning, she'd be like, oh, we're going to get through this. It, you made a mistake. But I think like after like the fifth, sixth time, she's like, you have a problem. Like mm -hmm. you really need to change the life, like how, how you're living. Like this isn't normal. Mm -hmm. So like no one in my family's ever been in trouble. Mm -hmm. My mom got like a speeding ticket. I remember one time and she cried for like two days. <laughs> <laughs> she cried and I was like what are you crying about and then she was just like this is so bad I broke the law wow. and you know if she doesn't cuss I mean I'd get my mom to cuss wow yeah. she would curse at you oh yeah and you know when she's really mad she's Japanese in Jap yeah what's and the you, curse for the Japanese uh bakadayo Oh wow! And that then you hear, crazy. yeah, it's it's bad, bro. You hear that? <laughs> you're like, oh shit. <laughs> so the, yeah, she would always support me. She'd put money on my books. She'd make sure I'd be able to call her. But I remember toward the end, she would kind of stop answering the phone slowly. But anyways, uh, I was looking at some pretty bad time, and uh, I remember my attorney. He was a private lawyer before, like I crossed over full over to mm -hmm. like full blown addiction. He was like, "You, you're literally paying me to reduce your time." And I remember I was like, "What do you mean by that?" I'm like, "I'm paying you a lot of money. Like I'm supposed to go home." Mm -hmm. He was like, "You are paying me to do less time in prison." And I was like, oh, shit, this is happening. Yeah, because, I, like, I have a lot of friends who have gotten charge over charge over charge. And as kids, when we were younger watching it, you'd be like, oh, well, next charge, they're going to prison. And they wouldn't. And then next charge, oh, dude, there's no way they're, they're going to prison this time. And they wouldn't. And then you'd be like, well, I guess— some people just don't go to prison, you know, particularly white people. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like, you know, growing up, you'd be like, dude, they're definitely, you know, going away to prison. It would seem like it just wasn't going to happen. And then it started happening. Like you said, like people I grew up with doing five, six, seven, eight years in prison, You what it usually would come out to is just petty shit. Because you'd be like, what happened? He got seven years. He robbed a bank. No, nah, I violated probation, you know? Like, again. <laughs> again. Again. You know, it'd be like, you know, you violated probation 18 times in the past fucking 13 months. You're you're done, you know? So what did you get sentenced? So they gave me time served in county, mm -hmm. and then they sent me up for 14 months in prison. So they so wanted total to— it was almost two, year, two years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, close to 30 months. Wow. So they wanted to give me that letter because I've—letter meaning like your, your prison. Uh, they want to give me— DC number. Mm -hmm. I remember finally toward the end, we, uh, I'll never forget, like the state attorney's like, oh, if you take this to trial, uh, <laughs> I'm going to make sure. She literally came up to our table. Wow. And John, uh, my lawyer, was like, you know, I go to dinner with this lady and lunch. Like, she's not playing. And he's like, and he like put his hand over the mic. He's like, you go to trial, you're going seven years. And I'm like, 
not doing that. Took the plea. So I took the plea, and then I remember the judge sentencing me, and I was like, all right, well, let's do this. I remember getting shipped off, I think, two or three days later in, like, they call it the Bluebird. Mm -hmm. So I'm petrified, man. I'm like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. But, like, you really don't have a choice. Uh, like, you're getting on that damn bus. I remember they take me to South Florida Reception Center. And I'm like, this place is a zoo, like <laughs> crazy. There were so many people. It was just wild, man. It was in um, almost like Key West area. I remember you just- Really? It was the South Florida Reception Center. I remember like the first thing when you got off the bus, the CEOs are like screaming at everybody, like screaming like F you, like getting people's faces and spitting. I'm like, this is like, man, I'm not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. Like. How did I get myself into this? I remember like the CEO slapping one of these kids for looking at him crazy. And they were like, welcome to Miami. This is our world. First thing they do when you get off, you know, they straight strip search you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is so wrong. Like this, we got to have rights, dude. You're in prison. <laughs> you have no rights. You're thinking like, how do I sign a grievance? <laughs> yeah, where's my grievance box? I remember in county, this freaking lieutenant would be like, oh, you want your grievance? He'd be like, it's right there. And he'd point to the garbage can. Mm -hmm. wow. I'd be like, dude, these guys are going to get, and they had like these black gloves. So mm -hmm. when it was like go time, they'd put these gloves on. And you're just like, what the fuck? And I'm like, dude, someone's about to get whooped. But I remember like when I finally got there uh, doing like the intake, or I don't know, yeah, I guess you would call it an intake. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to this lady, and I was like, hey, I was like, you know, trying to be all polite, because I do really well, like, in an institution. So, like, when it's county jail, whether it's prison, yes, sir, no, ma'am, mm -hmm. make my bed to a T. I'll have the little cuff in there, little six-inch cuff. Mm -hmm. uh, my slides are under there. I've got my Bible, because i got to look like I'm doing something. I remember telling this lady real proper, and then I was like, ma'am, you know, uh, my family stays in uh, the Palm Beach Gardens area. Can you make sure, like, uh, am I, do you know where I'm going? She's like, oh, you're in, you want to stay local? I was like, yes, ma'am, I want to stay local. So like my mom and my brother can visit me. She goes, all right, no problem, honey, we can do that. So maybe about, oh, not even a week later, mm -hmm. there's no uh, air conditioning at the South Florida Reception Center. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, I've had people on the show that just talk about how insane it is with just no AC. Just chaos, like people fighting. And is this... Like, like, lay it out. What does it look like? Is it bunks in a giant room or are they pod? Is so it a pod? It's like a pod. So I remember the one where I was in. It was like the second one on your right. It's a pod with no AC. No AC. They have like these screen fence things, like these little slits mm -hmm. where like the air would come in. And like but they it's have, a breeze. Bro, it's South Florida. But, but that's what I'm saying. It's not air from the air conditioning. No, there's no air It's from outside. Yeah, it's from outside. And like there was one shower like upstairs in the corner. One shower? That's what I – bro, I didn't come out of my cell too yeah. much in the beginning. This is my first time. I'm not a veteran in prison. <laughs> County jail, I'm all right. But yeah. I'm like – it was just wild, man. Mm -hmm. And like people running around, everyone doing these top cigarettes, smoking. Mm -hmm. You know, these kids fighting. It was just wild. Finally, the lady was like, uh, you want to stay local? So then we get shipped out, and I start asking people. I hear about this prison. I remember in county jail, they would talk about this place called FSP. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, oh, God, please don't let me go there. Like, I'm What were they saying about it? That probably, like, like, people die over there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were just like people die. I just laugh because it's absurd, but it's I know like no, it's, it's real. It's crazy. Shit. There was this guy. I remember like I used to see him every time I went to jail, and like every time I saw him, he'd be like missing like one more tooth, 
And like he been to prison like seven times, and he mm-hmm. would tell me he'd be like, "Yo, don't go to prison, don't go to FSP, bro." He's like, "I was there for twelve years." He's like, "They're gonna kill you." <laughs> and I'm like, dude, <laughs> I was like, uh, I was, so you would hear all these things because I don't know. And you just start asking people and been through county jail so many times you'd hear all their war stories like mm-hmm. uh, to this camp or this camp or this camp suite or Butler. They knock your teeth out. If you got gold teeth and they keep them in a jar and they rattle it down the cells. I'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> That's some fucking Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> dude, I'm telling you. And uh, said they knock out your teeth. If you got gold teeth, then rattle it in a jar. <laughs> you rattle it and walk. This is what they said. I, uh, I believe it. I've never been to prison. It's probably true. Yeah, I crazy. believe it. Yeah. I get on the bus. I thought they were keeping me local. She did not. She literally lied to me and shoved me up in the it's panhandle. It's probably a joke. Yeah. Yeah, she's probably like, sucker. She's like, yeah, you want to stay local? Sure. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Oh, you want a waterbed? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, she <laughs> let me know what you want for dinner. I'll fucking have it ready for you. <laughs> she duped my ass. So I get on the bus and like it's not stopping. So, <laughs> so I'm like, dude, where the fuck are they taking me? So we go up mm-hmm. and I can't remember. So at one of the times we stop at a place that's called Columbia. It's this other, but I, it was kind of sweet because it was AC. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe this is where I'm staying. But dude, they were like some crazy hard and like big, like, I don't know. But it, it was AC. It was AC. But like the vibe, I'm a very vibey person. And like, I just felt like, I don't know, like these dudes are for real. And mm-hmm. like, they're probably gonna kill me in my sleep. Mm-hmm. So I was there for a couple of days and like you couldn't really get an answer out of anybody. Yeah, you're like, yo, am I staying here or is this just like a transition? Right. And it's well, got- they ship you around. Yeah. So like Which I never made they- sense to me, but I don't know. I guess they have to move people around and yeah. discharge them. To make to make make more room for beds. So <laughs> it's weird, right? So I, I stay there for a couple of days and I remember I do another stop. And I think that's where I saw the gate. It was like really early in the morning, the fog was up, and I see FSP. And I'm like, oh, this is where I come to die. <laughs> so you got shipped there? I No. Oh, I you were there. But they have a whole bus full of people of like where they're dropping them Wow, off. wow. So I see FSP, and I'm like, this is it. This is how I die right mm-hmm. here. I remember they're calling off the names. And I remember the bus driver. Did you ever big, fight at that point? Not in prison. In county jail, yes. Prison kind of one. Uh, no, not in not prison. Really. County jail, mm-hmm. uh, prison. I was trying to go home, man. Yeah. I was trying to go home because I remember my lawyer's like, look, if you get in trouble, you lose. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called game time. Yeah. I was like, dude, I'm trying to go home. Okay, wait. So tell me what happened after. So, yeah. they're Oh, the bus drivers, dude. I remember that was crazy. They were like, hey, man, I don't care what you guys do on this bus. You can, uh, you can screw each other. You can fight. Just don't fuck with me when I'm driving. And I was like, this is crazy. So they're <laughs> calling people. It's like a roll call. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, such and such. They made DC, 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 get off. And like my heart is beating because I'm like, this is where people die. Mm-hmm. And I remember he told me they have like the gas chamber. There, and I was like, I heard all these stories. The gas chamber? Or uh, the lethal injection. Lethal that, injection? Yeah, okay. yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> the gas chamber. It, it was all terrifying. They do lethal injection there. Wow. Yeah. Like it's a serious prison. They didn't call my name. So I ended up at this place called uh, Madison. Sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what's crazy? If you look on the back of a Zephyr Hills bottle, you see Madison County on there. Wow. I didn't even know this place existed. Yeah. I finally get there. You know, I'm checking in. 
Uh, the main compound's crazy. That's where, like... When you say checking in, I'm thinking, like, the Marriott. No, you're checking in a <laughs> prison, bro. Like, you're getting butt naked, coughing and squatted, and, like, they're searching all your stuff. It's just, like, you literally have no... Like, uh, I mean, to me... Animalistic. I could, yeah, like, you're literally, like, an animal. But in my head, I couldn't be angry. I was like, dude, you did this to yourself. Like, mm -hmm. this is what you get. You actually probably got off on a good deal. So, like, just do this and, like... Do your time and go home. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.